to, again, not me, but to the truth. So think of it like this. All week long, you have a calling. You all have a calling. Did you know that? All of you have a calling. Everybody say, I have a calling. Was that everybody? All right. I have a calling. Your calling is out in the marketplace. Your calling is at the school or maybe it's in the dorm. It's in your neighborhood. It's on your farm. You have all these things, all these people that you interact with, all these things that you do, they consume your life. There's people that you are aware of and around. And you have a calling to reach them to share the gospel with them, to minister to them, to serve them, to be salt, to be light, to be a witness. My calling as pastor is to help you faithfully fulfill your calling. Now, it's not my calling to reach those people. It's not my calling to minister to those people. That's your calling. My calling is to help you and to, to equip you so that you are faithful in your calling. So, so I study the scriptures. I, I, I look, I try to present truth to you as best as I can. I help you understand the culture and apply God's word to your life. In a sense, this is a partnership. This is a partnership. Look around. We are here to helping each other fulfill our race, to run our race, each of us. We all have a role. We all have a calling. And so it's a partnership. And you're going to answer for your calling. Everybody is going to answer for how they fulfilled their calling. And does everybody have a calling? Yeah, we just said that. I, everybody was about to say, I have a calling. So we all need to work together so that we can do this better. This is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of coming and meeting regularly so that we encourage one another, so we link up arm, arm in arm, and we go into this together. We're not running an individual or a, a race alone. I'll say it that way. So anyways, if we all work together, we can do this better, and that's the idea of, of verse 17. It actually is it's warm, has a shepherding tone, and the second part of the verse, very interesting, it says, let them, that's, that's the pastors, these spiritual leaders, do this with joy and not with grief. In other words, again, the pastor or the shepherd, uh, the preacher, the minister, the, the small group leader, they should do it with a heart of joy. It shouldn't be a burden. Shouldn't be something that they that they do grudgingly, begrudgingly, that's the word, or, or out of frustration or out of anger. So basically what it's saying, because if it's done as a burden, or if it's done out of anger and frustration, this would be unprofitable for you. It would be you're the one that's gonna get beat up. <laughs> And I've seen this. This is terrible. And I, I've done it. Actually, I've done it. And I apologize. What the text ultimately is saying is how you, though, how you choose to respond to listen or, or sets the tone is whether or not your shepherd is going to come at you with joy and love or whether he's going to come at you with frustration and anger. 
And like I said, I apologize. I've done this. I've been disappointed. I've seen you, you know, sometimes say you, this is generally, you know, but I've seen you like continue to make bad decisions. I've taught on these. I've given you the resources and you continue. So I get frustrated and the tone gets harsher and harsher and harsher. And before you know it, I'm holding my Bible and I'm pointing at you. <laughs> you know, I mean, like you've seen that some pulpits are just so angry some preachers are just so mad and frustrating that is not profitable let them do so with joy guys there's so much conflict and I've, again we we have witnessed this imagine every mature believer who has been a part of a, a church or, or multiple churches has seen this spiritual leaders sometimes have conflict with their people and everybody loses in that context everybody loses so that's the idea guys if we do this together if we partner together let's better for everybody let's do this together we all have a part we all have a role and a calling i've told you this before i get asked sometimes what's so special about berean community fellowship you know and sometimes it's a trap you know they're setting me up you know essentially why are you planning another church but guys what makes us special and i believe we are but what makes us special is the people as i look around and i see you guys and all the people that god is bringing to this to this group to this body i see mature believers i see lay leaders i see previous you know elders and pastors and preachers i see people with great maturity and talent and i'm excited but also it's just it's it's the people that that, that god has brought this is a wonderful place to be a pastor you guys are so loving you make me feel welcome you make me feel supported i feel i feel love I feel acceptance when you disagree or I say something and you want to challenge it. You always do so in a loving way. That's what makes us special. It's nothing on that we have on necessarily on paper. It's nothing I have done. It's what God has done. It's us together being like-minded, being encouraging to one another, being supportive of one another, caring for one another, meeting each other's needs. That's what makes us special. Never forget that. That's what's so important. So think of this, I think this is something, just, just talking about this passage, I think this is something we do well. Can we all say thank God and, or praise God? God. All right. Um, so now verse 18 is, is connected. And it's important that we don't disconnect these verses from the conversation. Just remember that we would have read this just um, one line after another. The writer says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring, that's a very strong term, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, nobody knows truly, like, accurately, as a fact, the background here. We don't even know, as a fact, who wrote this. But we can, there's a lot of commentaries, and we could, you know, just confer a little bit and, and read into it. The writer is caught up in something. There's something going on, and until that gets resolved, he can't come. He can't be with them. And most scholars think that it, it's a mess. Maybe there's a discipline issue. Maybe there's just maybe a lack of leadership somewhere. And he's just, whatever it is, again, we're just completely just guessing. But it, until things get worked out, we know this for sure, he can't come. Until things get worked out, he can't be with them. So, so what, what he is doing, though, 
He is reaffirming to them that he wants to be them with them, and, and he is conducting himself, himself as, 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 as best as he can with, with integrity and honor. And we just need to be reminded of that. He, he, he is taking a point, he is taking time to, to reaffirm to them, I am living my life with integrity. I am living my life with honor, with character. Anybody here who is a leader or aspires to be a leader, again, at any level, regard, in any form or fashion, you need to live a life of integrity, with character, with honor. You need to take it serious. Because if we're going to take verse 17 serious, your life has to be serious. You need to be on guard. You need to live a life so that people can trust you when you share the truth with them. You can see it. You, 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 have, you have experienced this. When people live a life that is questionable, when it's tainted, when, when, when you're, you know they're involved in sin, unrepentant sin, then when they try to give a word, when they try to share truth, it's like... <laughs> You, you don't accept it. I don't, I, don't, I don't accept it. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're not living a life full of integrity. That supports it. Now, the Spirit break, breaks through. Again, we need to be submitting to one another. But you know what I'm saying. The life that matters. We must be genuinely uh, living full of character, publicly and privately, seeking to live a life of honor before God. So that's the basic idea. And it's interesting. We see this in Acts. We see this many times in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is reminding them of how he conducts himself. So many times he reminds them how he lives. He assures the people that he's seeking to live a life of integrity. Are you seeking to live a life of integrity? So one of the things that we talk about, like different ministries, and one of the things that we want for for a men's ministry, or all ministry, but for a men's ministry, whether all are called or not, we want all men to be qualified to be an elder. We want all men to be qualified to have a life that supports them if they were nominated to be in leadership, that their life would not disagree with that. Maybe not all are called, but we want all to be qualified. Guys, we all need to be pursuing this. Do you live a life full of integrity, of honor? So anyways, we get that. It's just, it's just so important. We have, there are so many Christian celebrities, so many scandals. We see it all the time. And, and again, here, you know, and we get, we get just wrapped up with all of them. Oh, they're a Christian, they're evangelical. We have nothing to do with them. We don't know them. But now the world sees us, okay, I can't trust you. It's so important that we live a life set apart. We live a life of holiness so that when we share a word, when we speak truth to somebody, it can be trusted. You guys get it. Now starting in verse 20, this is the benediction. That means it's wrapping up. Some refer to this as the doxology. It's, it's a little bit of review of the book of Hebrews. It says, now the God of peace. This is the, the, the closest word we have in the Greek to the word shalom, which means flourishing, just, just somebody doing, doing well, flourishing in all areas of wholeness. This is, again, just, just stop and think about the context. Remember, what, what are these people getting ready to face? Somebody say it. Heavy persecution, intense 
persecution. And so they're on their way into that, and they're, and they're about to experience this just dramatic and painful and testing and trying time. And the writer says, you can flourish. <laughs> because he, that, that just, just think about it. That's amazing. It doesn't say take care, hold on, dig deep. You, could, it, you, you can flourish. You can flourish, guys. Hear this message. You can flourish. Because flourishing has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with you understanding and believing Jesus is better. And there's something better that's coming. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Flourishing has everything to do with the God of peace. Do you have him? Do you have this intimate relationship the new covenant brings about? So it says, now the God of peace, again, the God of flourishing, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. So he's raised up Jesus from the dead, and we are his sheep. It says, through the blood of the eternal covenant. This has been a huge conversation in Hebrews. We have talked about this at length. And if you haven't been able to follow along, if you don't know what this is referring to, all we have them, we have them recorded. We have them on Facebook. You can get in a home fellowship and ask questions. But essentially, it was all about this fulfillment of the promises. God has been promising all along that he would send an ultimate high priest. He would send his son to be that ultimate sacrifice, and he did. Jesus came, and he is that ultimate high priest. He is that ultimate sacrifice that paid for our sins, that secures for us access to God so that we can enter into the holy of holies, so that we can have an intimate relationship with God, something they had never been able to do. They've always been afraid of, of, of whether they measured up or not. And they just wiped that out and made uh, access to us so that we can come boldly into the throne room. This is something that is amazing. I love this saying. God never said you could. He always said he would. Haven't we seen this in Hebrews? He never said we could do it. He always said he would do it. That all of these things in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, have been a shadow. They've been telling us if we, if we had ears to hear, if we had eyes to see, that something better is coming. Jesus is that thing. So Christ is enough. It's this eternal covenant. It's the eternal promise. And then he identifies the great shepherd. He says, even Jesus our Lord. Verse 21 basically says that God may equip you in every good thing to do his will. That word equip, we talked about this when we studied Mark, when we looked at the, uh, the fishermen, when they would be mending and putting their nets together so that they could, uh, re repairing their nets, mending their nets so that they could be used or put to action. This is what the word equip means, to tend, to fix, to put back together for action, equipping us. It goes all about chapter 12, part of the message of the gospel is that God brings healing. God brings healing. He, he, he restores what is broken. He brings, he brings the, that, that fracture, that wound back. He, he heals it. Guys, together as the body of Christ, when we come together, we experience healing. And it's true. 
It's physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's available to us. The hope that we need in order to fulfill our calling is available. In order to live our life of purpose, we have to be mended back together. And this is, this is, this is a fallacy. This is a, a, a lie that everyone needs to get out of their head right now. So we're, we're going to do this. Do not think you don't need to be mended. Don't think you are a perfect net already in use or, or ready to be used. Everybody has some mending to be done. So if you have this idea, I don't need to be equipped. I don't need to be mended. I don't have anything that needs to be fixed. Take that thought and throw it out. Because that's so contrary to Scripture, so contrary to what we see in Hebrews, so contrary to what we see in Ephesians. We all have some mending needed done in our life. And we do that together. So some of you guys, you are here broken. You have come this morning broken. You, you have come this morning wounded. You don't want to be in another church. In fact, the last experience in, 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 in church, being vulnerable with other people, stung. It hurt. But you are still here. God has brought you here. Maybe you're on Facebook. You're still listening. You're still a part of this. God wants to heal you. He wants to mend you. He wants to equip you so that you can be in this partnership to fulfill your calling to help others fulfill their calling so that you can be a part of what he's doing in this church and be a part of what he's doing in this community. That's the idea here. He says that he may equip you in every good thing to do his will. Working in us so it's not our power, it's his power. Again, that's a lie so often we try to fix ourselves, we try to cope, we try to overcome by ourselves. It's his power that is needed. That which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. So at the end of the story, it's always about Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. It's always about him. It's always been about him. All through Hebrews, it started. He's better than the angels. He's God's last word. All through, we see the prophecies that he is fulfilling. And at the end of it, he is our Lord he is working it in us. All glory to him. This is just amazing. It's always about Jesus. Verse 22, but I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> what are you going to kick out of that? 13 chapters. <laughs> I, kinda, I just smile at that statement, right? Because this has been a long time. We've been in Hebrews for a while. We started way back in the spring when Aslan preached. Didn't you preach the first Hebrews or maybe the second? Because I knew in a chapter, th it's just chapter three, really? Okay. But anyways, it's, that was a while ago. And you're due. You got to get back up here soon. Um, so anyways, it, it, it's, it doesn't seem brief to me. <laughs> and so I, I get a kick out of this, and I'm probably the only one. Let's move on. But the language kind of reflects this idea. This, this hasn't been easy. It's, it, it has been brief considering the harsh warnings, considering like just the, the heavy topics. 
there's so much more time that is needed to really dig into these things, to understand these things, to believe these things, so that it uh, changes our life. It needs time. It doesn't happen overnight, not often. So it hasn't been easy. It's been tough, and, but he cares for them, and he's living his life with integrity, trying to shepherd them. And then verse 23 says, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. So, so Timothy must have been incarcerated. That was pretty common. He was, in, he was incarcerated. He's been released, and he's going to go to the writer. Again, we aren't sure who he is. We, I guess he's in Italy. Um, and, and hopefully, though, they can come and visit. And then he ends the message uh, with this message of grace, which has, again, been part of the theme of Hebrews. God makes his promise. He, he fulfills his promise. We see it. Jesus, God's eternal son, taking on flesh, entering the world and fulfilling all these things. So the writer has said repeatedly, this is the new covenant. It is a, a better covenant. It is built on better promises. It brings about a better hope and it leads us to a better city. All of that is a gift of grace. But the challenge we face and we are going to face it today. We are all going to face it tomorrow. We are going to face it for the rest of our lives. There is this tendency in all of us to think that we have to earn it. There is this tendency that as soon as you get done with this, or maybe even during the testimonies coming later, or this afternoon, there is just going to creep into you this idea, this thought that you have to earn it or you have to do something specific, a bunch of religious activity, religious rituals, some kind of performance, something maybe trying to have more good than bad in your life, all of this attempt of self-righteousness so that you can have the favor of God. That is going to creep in. And that is the reflective of the old covenant. The old covenant is done. It's, it's no more. It's been fulfilled. It's a new covenant. And so we strive, we remind ourselves, stop trying to earn God's favor. Stop trying to do it yourself and rest in what he has done. Let the grace of God stir in you. Do all, I mean, we're, we're, I just got done talking about living a life of holiness. I just got done talking about living a life of integrity. But we get to do so out of adoration. Uh, we're not we don't have favor of favor or god favor with god or god's favor because of performance we have it because of promise if we are in jesus christ so the new message of the new covenant is you simply cannot make yourself right with god you guys you can't do it you won't do it you can't do it that's why jesus had to come and do it for you it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter anything. Nobody is too far from God's grace. There are people in our lives, people we go to school with, maybe people we work with, people we see on the side of the road that sometimes we just think, maybe and they're not like so explicitly in these words, but we think with, the, with our actions and our, are just ignoring them that they are too far. Nobody is too far from God's grace. 
Nobody, he offers it freely as a gift for those, anybody who would receive it. That's the, been the message. Guys, this is the Hebrews in a nutshell. Jesus is better. Let's remind ourselves of that. Let's write that on the wall. Let's, let's, let's hang it in our house. Let's, let's put it everywhere. Let's remind ourselves Jesus is better. So this morning, it's, gonna, it's been a long time since we've been in Hebrews. We've been just, just pounding this into all of our, of our minds, myself included. But this morning, we gather to celebrate. God has done some really cool things. There has been victory. There, I have seen people come to life. I have seen joy. I've experienced it. True joy and salvation because of the grace of God through this time in Hebrews. There are people who have had their lives changed because they have started to believe with all of their heart Jesus is enough. So we're going to listen to some testimonies. We're going to hear what they have to say. They're going to share with the church, not out of obligation, but just because God has done something work and they <clears throat> a wonderful work, and they want to encourage you and just, just be a witness to what God has done in their life. So let's listen to these testimonies, and then afterwards, if anybody else feels like they want to share their own testimony, please, you guys are welcome. We will facilitate it. Come right here. We share? Let's listen. Good morning. So, um, so this kind of goes back to my testimony. I grew up um, in a Christian home. I did not. Um, I didn't have a cross and the switchblade testimony. Um, I was I did not struggle with a lot of what people consider the big sins. Um, I didn't even have a very um, big stint of rebellion in my teenage years, um, even though there were some rough rough periods. Um, I say that to say that that created another problem for me, um, and that was growing up. I always felt like that getting to the point where I was okay with God was easy. Like I like I you know, in my mind I'm like, okay, I'm 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 relatively good enough. I just have to do it be a little better and God'll be happy with my life and be good to go. Um and then when I was in mid teenage years, um I kind of got exposed to some teachers um that were not true teachers, um, that helped amplify that, eventually boiled down to um, righteousness boils down to obedience. So when you're obeying well enough, God's happy with you. Um, and I saw both of those issues in my life growing up. Um, and I realized, you know, that God, that the grace of God is what it's about. It's about Jesus' sacrifice. It's about his work on the cross. It's not about what I do, but it was always a running, a running battle. It was always something I, I defaulted to. Whenever I was feeling like I wasn't living up to God's standards, I beat myself up. When I did something that I was like, I felt like I was walking in obedience, I felt good about myself. Um, and so with this um, walk through Hebrews, and then with Kellis asking me to preach on chapter three, requiring me to study Hebrews um, more in depth, um, 
God really started using it to push on some of those areas. He, you know, number one, I'm a sinner. There's a chasm between my my self-righteousness and God's righteousness, and I am not capable of bridging that. It's not about what people say are bad sins or aren't so bad sins. It's not about, you know, how well do you live your life? It's just, that's the fact. That's the way it is. And you need to, and I started realizing more like that's how I am. But then the second thing is the whole, the whole running thing of Hebrews was this isn't anymore about the, the list of the old covenant rules about obedience to earn righteousness or when you fail, you do, you, you do a blood sacrifice, you, you give up, you know, you, you hurt a little bit so that you can kind of get forgiveness. It's, it's about there's a finished work and there's rest in that and you need to strive to enter that rest. You need to strive to stay in that rest. You need to, you need to trust in who God is and live from there not and don't leave that because if you're if you're living in well how good how good did i perform today or, or how good can i perform um that's not resting in the work of christ christ's work will, will produce his fruit in you but it's not that work which saves you it's it's an outflow of who christ is and so i'm not <laughs> i'm not saying i'm even there yet um, but God used this sermon series and then the studying for when I had to actually talk about it um, to really to help me grow in that area, to help me realize that there was, there was pride in my life, that I felt like I could do it, and that, um, and then on the flip side, that there was a propensity to leave that sacrifice and um, rely on myself. And so I'm thankful that he used that to open my eyes and help me get closer to where he wants me to be. You guys are really intimidating as a large crowd. <laughs> okay, so I think we just all stole each other's testimonies because I'm going to talk about the same thing. Um, as I was growing up, um, I was in a church where you were saved by grace, but that was it. That's as far as grace went. It saved you, and the rest of it was up to you. You had to work hard. You had to do things. You had A, B, and C. You had to follow in order to be a good Christian. And if you didn't do those things, then God was going to punish you. And that was exactly it. Is he loved you enough to save you, but that was it. And so going through Hebrews, it has reiterated the fact and opened my eyes that I was still living like that. I was still in that I had to do this, I had to do that, I had to work and work and work to stay in God's grace and to stay in his love. And so the most amazing part that he showed me through Hebrews was that, the new covenant, that I am still in that new covenant and that God is good and he is loving and we are no longer in the law. And um, he reminded me of that throughout Hebrews. But then again, when we, were, when we were doing stuff for Advent and stuff for Christmas coming up, when we were reading the book of Luke. 
And in, the, in chapter 5, in the very last verses in the book of Luke, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he's telling them, he says, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. And you can't take a new patch and put it on an old pair of pants because it'll tear apart. And that's what it, what, that's what it had done to me as far as, you know, I was doing all these things for God. But that's all I was doing is I was doing things and doing things and trying to be better and trying to be perfect because that's what I thought I had to be and that's what I thought I had to do. Um, but I just think it is so beautiful that we no longer have to look at the Old Testament or we no longer have to be in the Old Covenant, that we're in the New Covenant that covenant of love and grace as sons and daughters. And <laughs> I started crying this morning when I was writing this all down and thinking about my children. Last night we were sitting and reading and they were playing. And it's like, that's not what I had with God before. You know, it was more of a, a servant going in to see his master and saying, look at what I've done for you and it does this please you. But no, it's more of Daniel and Basil coming in and, and playing with me and enjoying that spirit and that relationship. So, I don't cry. I hate to cry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I really liked Hebrews because that's, it, it showed me where I was, I was a servant, but I'm no longer a servant or a slave. I am a daughter of God, and I can have that relationship with him. <laughs> I, um, I feel like Hebrews has been life-changing for me in an unusual way. Mine's been real intimate. Um, when Kellis spoke or shared with us and taught us out of chapter 12, and he talked about God being uh, not a punitive God and in reference to his children and, you know, when we're living our life and we're trying to do it, you know, and just walking in that faith, I had a real, I had a real hard time with it. It really rocked my world, even though I think in a way I knew it in my head. It never really hit my heart until we went through Hebrews this time. I was raised um, in, a, in a, a violent biker home, and um, we were old Catholic. And so when he spoke about how a lot of times we take what we've learned from our own, our earthly fathers, and we project that image on God, and we view God as that being how our heavenly father is, it was a real... Um, face-to-face -face moment for me to realize that, you know, growing up, I saw my dad as a violent, um, angry person, but if I walked right, talked right, ate right, carried myself well, did things with excellence, then he would want to be with me. He would, he would be pleased with me, and so similar to theirs, but from a different context. Um, I learned to do things right and with excellence and all of this, and it became a, an interwoven part of my character to the point that I didn't even realize how deeply it affected me. I actually carried that into my prayer life. So growing up Catholic, even though I shared with you last 
time that I didn't have a Bible or the Word of God. What I did have was constant um, teachings and trainings and ritualism um, from the churches that we would go to. And in that process, what happened is, is that I started thinking as a child that if I didn't pray enough, if I didn't pray enough for my brothers and sisters to be safe or for my mom to be safe or for whatever, if I didn't pray enough, then there was consequence. And it was like it put all of this pressure on me all of my life that I had to be the person that had to be vigilant and diligent to keep that vigil at night and to be praying for everyone. And so it, it became this taskmaster, if you will. But I couldn't let it go because I was afraid. And so my faith in the Lord really started shaping into this thing that was governed by fear. And so um, I lived in that fear my whole life, and it carried over with my children, with my marriage, and you can just, it's endless and stuff. So through Hebrews this time, it's like I was actually able to, to all of it click, if you will. And in that clicking, I was able to understand that I am not enough, and I'll never be enough and that it's okay, and that it's okay if I fail, and it's okay if I disappoint, and it's okay if I'm not good enough. But what really jumped out at me more than anything, and I even put it on my little thing, because we always talk about Jesus loves me, God loves me, but to really wrap my head around the fact that God just loves me just for who I am and not for what I can do, or who I can be, or any of that. And so I'm in this new season that I'm welcoming where I'm letting go. I'm like holding life loose right now. And this is my prayer, is that I will continue to hold it loosely and that I will be able to be used by the Lord however he wants. And if he just wants me to crawl on his lap and sit, that that would be good enough and that I wouldn't have to be anything but me. And so it's freed me in a way I never expected, and it's even changing up how I pray so that now when I come before the Lord and I'm praying, I'm not praying out of fear because if I don't pray enough or if I don't whatever. Instead, I'm actually just coming to the Father that loves me and just making my request known, and it's as simple as that. And it's just been amazing how that just that little switch has been turned on in a way I never, even though I've read Hebrews and all that, it never clicked like it did this time for me in my own personal life and so I'm really thankful that uh, that we take the time to really work through work through the scriptures like that this we, we hear it testimonies are, are, are right on when I mess up and, and, and I mess up all the time I, I would just feel like well gotta punish myself a bit you know and, and now I just just balance you know based on the, the level of my mess up if I responded someone harshly or in the flesh if I sought revenge or yelled at that slow driver in front of me <laughs> in front of my kids uh, you know, just whatever it is, uh, I, I would feel obligated to go to the dark room. And, and, and that's, there's, there's no peace in the dark room. There's no true repentance. It's just a cycle of hiding and, 
and, and sorry, do it again. Sorry, do it again. And Hebrews and this new covenant, is, it's been so great. Just reminding me, run to the light room, run to Jesus where there's, where there's true forgiveness and repentance and where I'm reminded, I, I, I want this. I want to live righteously. I want to be with him. I'm, I'm, I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. And man, it's, it's been huge, huge, because I still mess up. And I'm, I, I'm still prone to being a loser. <laughs> um, but God loves us. You know, we said this years ago. Do you remember this, Eric? Uh, we are worms. <laughs> As we were going through Romans. You know, we are worms. But God loves worms. <laughs> so, um, and once you all stand, let's close. And again, you, of course, if, if you have something and you'd like to share, some of you do better one-on-one. And that's great. And that's fine. I encourage you guys, if you have a testimony, share it with somebody. But we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song. And I want to hear you guys sing it as loud as you can from the heart. Well, either way, just, just sing it from the heart. One last song and then we'll... Uh, Eric, since I just called on you and you're standing, after this song, will you just really loud close us in prayer? Really loud so all can hear. Um, please, go ahead. That's not it. All I have is Christ. Yeah. Yeah, we lost, never mind, we lost that song.
The curse of sin's tyranny And we are hidden in hell And my life is hidden Neath heaven's shadow And your crimson flood covers me Yeah Your crimson flood covers me Yeah.